Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Monday, PFTPM, streaming exclusively on Peacock, which is now on Roku. See, Shireen, in the past, I heard from a lot of people who said, sorry, you're not on Roku. Until Peacock's on Roku, I'm not going to watch it, right? Now they're going to have to come up with another excuse for not watching because it's on Roku. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is. How are you? I'm good and getting ready to download it on my Roku. I was so disappointed a couple weeks ago when I tried and found out it wasn't on Roku, but now it's on Roku. I think 5 p.m. in the afternoon is the latest I've ever said good morning to someone. You know, around noon, 12.30, you can get away with a good morning. I'm just so used to sitting in this chair and saying good morning to you, to Chris Sims, to Peter King, to whoever notice. is co-hosting with me on PFT Live. It's, it's force of habit. And I finally had a throw to break last week where I said we'll be back with more PFT Live. It was like one time out of what would have been 10 throws to break during the course of the week. So I'll take that that error rate so far because I'm in the exact same spot. I need to find a different spot for the afternoon because it feels like the morning when we do the afternoon show. This is week number two, though, exclusively on Peacock, also on Roku, sometimes on Sky Sports. I don't know when the hell we're on or when we're not. Sometimes we are, and when we aren't, we aren't, and we'll just leave it at that. What we're going to do today is go over some of the news from the National Football League, and there's a lot of injury news coming out of the second Sunday of the season. Also, we're going to do a new feature that will do as justified, although it may be justified every Monday. With apologies to Peter King, we're going to call it Monday afternoon quarterback or MPMQB, where we second-guess some of the things that coaches have done. And a surprising number of coaching decisions from yesterday can be second-guessed. We'll do that coming up. For now, let's get into it, Shereen. San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I'm still stunned by the injury issues they've had. And for all the teams in the league that could have had the roof cave in on one day, they're the team that could have least afforded it. But Jimmy Garoppolo, ankle, they're holding out hope he'll play this week. Raheem Mostert with a knee injury. Nick Bosa, we're still waiting for final word on the MRI. Apparently the MRI truck broke down on the way to the Greenbrier a couple of hours down the road from me where they're staying this week, so they're delayed on getting the MRI. Solomon Thomas with the knee injury. I saw a report Tevin Coleman's out several weeks. It's just one after another after another for the 49ers. We already had plenty of injuries coming into the game, and they still beat the Jets 31-13. I don't know if that says anything about the resilience of the the 49ers or how bad the Jets are. Either way, the 49ers somehow are one and one after all of this. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan did a great job of coaching there all through right, all these injury injuries. Stuff. Um, for sure. A lot of this stuff isn't still confirmed yet. Where we're, um, you guys know we're at the Greenbrier. Uh, we had an MRI truck scheduled up here, and that truck broke last night. So um, the local hospital is helping us out with MRIs, but that's why we're behind on everything. Um, what we've gone back so far. Um, we got Jimmy with a high ankle. We'll see how that goes this week. Uh, does still have a chance because it's not a the severity is not real bad, but it is a high ankle. Uh, Mostert MCL sprain. He'll most likely be out this week. Um, and then the other guys we haven't got it confirmed yet, but you know Tevin with a knee sprain, DJ Jones with an ankle, uh, Greenlaw had a thigh contusion, um, and then Bosa and Solomon we're still waiting on. Um, so we should get that back sooner than later. You know, on the surface, you could look at the fact that the 49ers didn't go home and say, man, with all these injuries, they'd probably like to go back and hunker down. But I think the less of a travel obligation, the easier it is for them to, you know, you don't want all those guys in a plane flying across the country with all those injuries and it can be uncomfortable and and you can have issues with the altitude and the extended pressurization of the of the uh, fuselage and everything that goes along with that so it's actually a good thing they're staying on the east coast and not making that flight home after a game like yesterday but you know shireen where do they go from here are they good enough to overcome this do they have the depth or is this just a situation where they got to hold on and and hope they can win as many games as possible while they wait for some of these guys to come back I don't know that it's too early to call it a Super Bowl jinx, Mike. They're just banged up. And and I don't know how you overcome all these injuries. If it was one injury or two injuries, you know, last week it was George Kittle and Richard Sherman. It, it's piling up on them. And it's just a ton of their best players 
are out. I mean, they're relying on Kerry Hyder to rush the passer. He's a journeyman. He's been all over the place. You know, Nick Mullins is probably going to start at quarterback. We'll see. Still waiting to, to hear whether Jimmy G can play or not. But just all these injuries, they just no team has the depth to overcome what the 49ers are facing right now. And and the fact that they play in the NFC West, which is looking particularly hard this season with the three teams, the other three teams in the division really, really good so far uh, this season. So they really face an uphill battle, not just to win the division, not just to stay in, but I think they face a real battle to even make the playoffs. And we've seen it with so many Super Bowl losers, and they're looking like that right now. And I know it's early. It's the second game. But this is just a ton of injuries. Well, it just illustrates how hard it is to get back for any team. Whichever one of the 16 in a given conference makes it to the Super Bowl in a given year, when you go back to 0-0, zero and zero, it's not just you have a larger target on you. It's that other stuff can happen and other stuff will happen. And some years you draw the right cards and other years – you don't. And there's always a chance that one of those other 16 teams is going to draw better cards than you. They're going to have a more favorable schedule. They're going to have fewer injuries. They're going to have the ball bounce their way at the right time. They're not going to get a bad call that maybe you didn't get last year, but you got this year. And when you look at how the 49ers were living on the edge for so many of their games last year, so many of them, and it came all the way down to week 17 between the one seed and the five seed for the 49ers. It's not easy to get back. And they weren't dominant consistently enough that we can say, hey, this is a team that's just going to continue to run roughshod over the NFC and the NFL. It's just not the case for any team, even the Chiefs. Look what they had to do yesterday to get to 2-0. and So the NFL talent level, more narrow than ever before. And you, you, you can't, there's a certain number of injuries you can't overcome. And the Patriots' attitude has always been no excuses for injuries. We're not going to get down in the mouth. We're not going to act like woe is us. We're not going to mail it in. We're going to expect everyone to live up to the standard that we set. Now, I think if Jimmy Garoppolo can't play, I don't think the gap between him and Nick Mullins is so gigantic that they'd be done because it's more of a system. But if they've got to go the whole year without Nick Bosa, Shireen, that's going to be hard to do because Bosa's presence transformed their defense. Without a difference maker like him, I don't know that that defense can be close to what it was last year. And that's the key, Mike. If you don't have a great quarterback, a quarterback who can carry you, and by great, I'm talking about one of the two, three, four quarterbacks we know are at the top that can carry a team, the Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons, those guys, Tom Brady, you know, those guys that we talk about can carry a team. I don't think we put Jimmy G in that category. So you have to have the great defense. You have to have something else. And without Bosa and Solomon Thomas and D Ford didn't play this week because he had neck, spas neck spasms. If you're looking at the carry hiders of the world to carry you, these journeyman passers, it's not going to happen. And they were really good on defense. And they were really good on defense last season because Nick Bosa came in and made them really good on defense. You look what he did in the postseason with those sacks that he had. He had four sacks in the postseason last year. He had nine in the regular season. He was really, really good getting to the quarterback. And he made those other guys good. And now they're not going to have him, and it's just going to be tough for that defense to hold up. Richard Sherman, you know, is their best cornerback, and he didn't play this week, and you just go on and on and on. And I just don't see it with this team. And you've talked a lot about the 49ers fast-forwarding to the end of that Super Bowl and wanting to get back there. Well, it, it, it's just gotten harder to fast-forward to, to get to that point again. Yeah, and even with Ziggy Ansah now on the team, which – sort of confirms what they're fearing for Nick Bosa. He's not Nick Bosa. If he was, he wouldn't have been available to anyone to sign in late September of 2020. It's that simple. So we'll see where the 49ers go from here. But again, they did win 31 to 13 and they have the giants who are reeling from their own injury issue. We'll discuss in a second before that though, the Carolina Panthers with the best running back in football he reportedly will be out four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain. Here is Christian McCaffrey talking about his anticipated absence and whether or not it will be quite as long as believed. Yeah, it sucks. You know, I mean, to be 100% transparent, anytime you get injured, it's it's a horrible thing. You know, you play football to play, not to sit out. And uh, this is part of the game and it happens. But 
Uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe in coincidences. I think everything happens for a reason. And uh, I think everything is perspective and attitude. And when you look at it, you know, uh, you can, you can win or you learn. And right now is a learning experience for me. You know, I've, I've prided myself on being on the field and, and freak accidents happen a lot. And this is one of them. And if you look around the league, you know, there's a lot of guys who are, who are down right now. But um, I think the biggest thing you can do right now is stay strong and, and fight through it. You know, they say four to six weeks. Well, that's a challenge to me. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can get back a lot earlier than that. But I'm going to attack this uh, just like I attack anything else and, you know, go from there. I'm not going to take the bait, Christian McCaffrey. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get into the spiritual discussion of, on one hand, everything happens for a reason versus calling it a freak accident. Look, the reality is, once you walk onto that football field, you're submitting to the possibility that a freak accident is going to happen. And the hand of God is not reaching down saying, let's see who I'm going to mess with today. Once you're out there, it's like placing a bet. You're rolling the dice. Maybe you get lucky and you walk away unscathed. Maybe you don't. But there isn't some greater divine... I said I wasn't going to take the bait, Shereen. I'm taking it. But this drives me crazy. You did. There isn't some greater divine plan as to who gets injured and who doesn't. Just like when Russell Wilson said God made him throw four interceptions in the NFC Championship game a few years ago, or God made them lose the Super Bowl to see how he'd react. No. It's a sport. It's a game. We allow ourselves to make it feel like it has some greater significance, but God is no more involved in what happens to a football player than he is in whether or not a guy properly tabulates the numbers on an accounting spreadsheet. So, look, it happens. You get injured. And now Christian McCaffrey's mindset is to come back as quickly as he can, period. It's part of football. It is part of football, and this is how tough he is, Mike. It had a, it happened a couple of plays before the touchdown, and he tried to retape it and even come back in the game and and uh, obviously couldn't go, but he started 50 consecutive games. And I, I don't know why Panthers fans are going to be excited b- about this team now. He was the one thing you wanted to watch in a Panthers game, and now he's gone for at least a few weeks. So I'm not sure over the next two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, however long it is, what Panthers fans have to hope for. They only have two other running backs on their 53-man roster, and Mike Davis has made 10 career starts, and he's certainly not Christian McCaffrey because nobody in the NFL is Christian McCaffrey. He's the best running back in football, which is why he's paid like it. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is going to find out what it's like when there are no longer extra safeties at the line of scrimmage. And Teddy's been good, but again, It's one thing to have Christian McCaffrey to open up your passing game. Now it's going to be a greater challenge for Teddy Bridgewater for a team that's 0-2, but they have not been bad. They've been competitive in both of their losses. Up to be competitive for however long Christian McCaffrey is out. The New York Giants have to find a way to be competitive without one of the best running backs in football, Saquon Barkley. An ankle injury last year that he kept trying to play through even though it wasn't 100%. Now he has the kind of injury you can't play through, the torn ACL. That was confirmed today. And Shireen, the bigger picture here, and this is something Sims and I talked about today, in that financial dance that happens between a running back and his team. When you're a great running back, you've got to get paid after your third season. How can the Giants justify paying Saquon Barkley until they know that he's back to being the guy he was? Case in point, Jarek McKinnon, after he joined the 49ers, he had a torn ACL. The next year, it wasn't right. They had to fix it again. They have to see Saquon Barkley being the guy he was before they make that long-term investment. And I think Barkley's just going to have to accept the fact that he's going to have to wait now. That even though most running backs who are in his class should get their contract before they get on the season for the third year, with Barkley, or fourth year, excuse me, with Barkley, this this sets everything back now. And, and I think at some level it calls into question his future with the Giants because if they wait for him to come back and prove that he's healthy, along the way he could get hurt again. And th- this is two out of three years with significant injuries for Saquon Barkley, and durability is such an important part of the running back position. You've got to prove that you're healthy. You've got to prove that you can do it, and that's going to be one of the big ifs that the Giants monitor going forward. Yeah, he's scheduled to make just under a million dollars next year in, in base salary, and and you can't justify giving him a, a new deal, a, an extension, especially when they had the fifth-year option on him. But, you know, he had the 2,000 yards from scrimmage his first season, looked great, won uh, offensive rookie of the year, and then came back last year and had the injury, and now this year 
he's only going to play two games. So there is a question about his injury history. And what a terrible two games that he had. After week one, he was criticized by Giants great Tiki Barber questioning whether he should be in every down back because he didn't want to block, and he had to defend himself against that. And then he comes back this week and has the injury. So it's just a, a, a complete waste of a season for Saquon Barkley. And now he faces a really, really crucial 2021 and, and what his future holds. And I think you look at what Michael David Smith says, too, about running backs. They're Basically, most of them are a dime a dozen, and, and you shouldn't draft a running back that high, and you shouldn't count on a running back, and you shouldn't pay a running back because you can find running backs all over the place. And you look what Leonard Fournette did for the Bucs after the Jags kicked him to the curb. Well, and look at what the Jags are doing with an undrafted rookie out of Illinois State in James Robinson, who has been solid for them in a win and in a game that they pushed the Tennessee Titans, one of the AFC finalists, all the way to the wire. So, you know, I remember saying this about Aaron Foster, undrafted and rushing champion. You can get running backs at every round of the draft. And when you take a guy in the top 10 like McCaffrey, like Barkley, you're buying into the idea that he is going to be durable. And of course, you have no idea that he's going to be durable until he gets to the next level. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. For the Denver Broncos, a couple of injuries. We knew about Drew Locke, the quarterback, with the shoulder injury. He's reportedly out three to five weeks after suffering an AC sprain. Cortland Sutton, knee injury. That one kind of came out of the blue today that he's out for the year with a torn ACL. Here's Coach Vic Fangio talking about the challenge of replacing both quarterback and number one receiver. I thought in light of the circumstances, you know, coming in there cold, uh, not getting many reps during the week, you know, he doesn't probably get as many as some of the backups around the league because, you know, Drew being such a young quarterback. And, and last week was a short week, so the reps were down a little bit in its entirety. Um, I thought he did a good job. And, yes, we'll look moving forward to do what best suits uh, Jeff. And, you know, and that's something you always do when you have new players in there. They're going to need help at quarterback, too. It's Jeff Driscoll and Brett Rippon, the son of Super Bowl twenty six MVP Mark Rippon, and he's on the practice squad. they got to get a third quarterback in the building, whether on the practice squad if they elevate Rippon or on the roster if they leave Rippon on the practice squad. But if you're only going to have two guys in the building, I mean, you got to get through practice. you got to be ready to go in the event there's another injury. So they're going to have to do something if Locke's out for a little bit. And, and remember, this year, because of the COVID-19 roster flexibility, they can put Drew Locke on injured reserve, clear that roster spot, use it on a quarterback, and then move that quarterback when Locke comes back, Shireen. But, you know, Locke, a promising young player, but he had an injury last year from training camp preseason that kept him to five games. He made a late season appearance and did really well. And now here we are with an injury in week two. Even more importantly than running backs, quarterbacks have to be able to play or they never have a chance to become as good as they can be. And I guess it's on on face value, it's better than what it looked like after the game when he's in a sling and you're thinking he might be out a while and and he he could just miss two weeks. Um, I think that that's probably the least he'll he'll miss. But that would be good news for the Broncos uh, if he does. And you're right, they have to add a quarterback. Vic Fangio was asked about your favorite quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, today and said no on that, of course. And we didn't expect John Elway to sign Colin Kaepernick, but he was asked he about it chance. today. But he already had his chance. He already has a chance. Remember that? He already had his chance. Yeah, he had his chance. And then That's they brought right. back Brock Osweiler, who had turned down a contract offer, but that doesn't apply to Brock Osweiler. Sorry, you, 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 you hit one of my nerves. That's uh, okay. Uh, I know. Nerves. Go ahead. Go. 
No, go ahead. <laughs> no, that I'm was sorry. it. I mean, they, they 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 just have to they have to find another quarterback, whoever that is, because Jeff Driscoll is one in seven in his career, and it's not like he's going to come in and lead the Broncos, especially if he doesn't have Cortland Sutton, their leading receiver, which is why they moved on from Emmanuel Sanders last year. And so here they sit, and they look like a promising team going into the season, and now they've been ravaged every bit as much as the 49ers have been. When you go back to the Von Miller injury, I mean, this is just another team that's just been hit hard with the injuries. I'd say these teams are 1A and 1B on the injury front, and and probably for, for all intents and purposes, they're seasons are finished after two games they did well though with Jeff Driscoll they gave the Steelers everything they could handle and they they could have and should have won the game on Monday night against the Tennessee Titans and Jeff Driscoll had his moments last year in place of Matthew Stafford but look at at, the Colin Kaepernick thing it's it's just no one's no one's gonna do it no one's it's yeah we're we're at the point of the year where you take refuge in, we're just going to go next man up. We're going to go with the guy that knows our system. He doesn't fit our offense. It's easier for the Broncos to make that argument now that Pat Shermer's the coordinator and Vic Fangio's the head coach than when Gary Kubiak was there because they'd wanted Colin Kaepernick before they didn't. And uh, here's the other reality. Teams sign guys all the time who aren't necessarily an ideal fit for the offense they run because they can play and they may need them. So you retool the offense on the fly like the Broncos once did with Tim Tebow when they decided to go with him. Anyway, enough enough of that. I, I've, I've reached the acceptance phase. I got you started. Of, I've, I've reached between, yeah, between the, the Christian McCaffrey getting me to take the bait on the spirituality concept and this, but I've reached the, the point where it's not going to happen. It still pisses me off. That, that folks have been so disingenuous and they've pushed so many false narratives. And, and now, like, the NFL at some level is trying to use Colin Kaepernick as, as like, a badge of honor. I, it's, 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 it's a point of shame that, that will stick with the league for years to come and hopefully history will judge the NFL appropriately for the way that they mistreated Colin Kaepernick uh, and, and basically ran him out of the league prematurely. And now it's easier than ever to just say, hey, he hasn't played in three and a half years and we have our quarterbacks on the roster. All right. The Chargers have a couple of good quarterbacks on the roster. We knew Tyrod Taylor could play. We found out yesterday that Justin Herbert can play because Herbert had to play because Tyrod Taylor was sent to the hospital with chest pains. And as it turns out, according to NFL media, a reaction to a painkilling injection that Tyrod Taylor received before the game because he had a rib problem that was on the injury report He practiced in full on Friday. They were trying to numb that area. There was a reaction to it. The chest pain sent him to the hospital. Justin Herbert gets the nod. He comes in, throws for 311 yards. And, Shereen, you and I communicated yesterday on the fact that Anthony Lynn, after the game, repeatedly said Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter when he's healthy. I, I think that he's being respectful to Taylor because he was in the hospital with chest pains. It's very easy to pivot away from that. If they look at the film of what Justin Herbert did, if they come to the conclusion that this kid's the future and the future is now, I I, I can't rule anything out because ultimately you're trying to win football games. And Herbert did a hell of a job yesterday with very short notice getting the Chargers in a position where they could have and arguably should have beaten the Chiefs. It's probably the best way to start out your rookie year. But, Mike, this reminds me so much of Baker Mayfield's rookie season. Week three – Tyrod Taylor gets the concussion. Baker comes in, wins that game dramatically. We're all over Baker Mayfield. He's great, he's great, he's great. And Tyrod's going to be our starter, and Tyrod lost his job to Baker Mayfield. And and this reminds me so much uh, of that team and that season in in Baker Mayfield because I think Tyrod Taylor, after seeing what Justin Herbert uh, did yesterday, deserves to lose his job. And I know it's unfortunate he had – uh, an injury had to go to the hospital and all of that, but but reality is reality. This is the future of the team. He came out and and he showed he could play. You give him the range, you let him go for the rest of the season. Now, I mean, he he was really good. And if perhaps for a fourth down decision in overtime, he might have come out and won that game. And then we're really talking about Justin Herbert today, like we were Baker Mayfield after he beat the Jets, because they would have beaten the defending Super Bowl champions yesterday. The Colts, a week after losing starting running back Marlon Mack with a torn Achilles, lost safety Malik Hooker with a torn Achilles. Also receiver Paris Campbell out indefinitely with a PCL injury. It looked like the Queen Mother. It looked like the ACL tear when he got hit low by Harrison Smith of the Vikings yesterday and was carted off. So he's out indefinitely. He's not out for the year, but, but he could be. Indefinitely means they don't know, and we'll find out 
whenever he's back on the field. Speaking of the Vikings, Anthony Barr, starting linebacker and captain on the defense, out for the season with a torn pectoral muscle. The Vikings already are circling the drain. They're at 0-2. The Bears and Packers are 2-0. At least the Vikings have company with the Lions, but this Vikings team has fallen apart quickly, and uh, Anthony Barr being gone, Shereen, does not does not uh, suggest that things are going to get better anytime soon for that defense or for that offense. No, they placed him on injury reserve, and it's not just going to be three games. Obviously, he's done for the season, and he's their leader on defense, and he's been such a great part of that defense. This will be the first time in his seven seasons that he's missed significant time. He's just always been there, and they've counted on him. Uh, and he's played at a Pro Bowl level for so long. It's going to be different for this Vikings defense without him, and, and it's going to be hard to make do. There's just certain injuries that you have that it, that they're just hard to overcome at certain positions. We know the quarterback on offense, but those leaders on defense, and we talked about Nick Bosa being out, those leaders on defense that you have are, are just hard to overcome. You can't just plug a guy in and expect him to lead and call the plays and get you in the right set and everything else, and, and they're going to have to make do without him the rest of the season and for as bad as the Vikings defense is the defense is the least of their problems their offense is abysmal so far this year and uh good luck improving your offense on the fly especially when your head coach is a defensive specialist was there a thought at all to take a time out after the long play to Julian there at the end Seattle took a timeout. I mean what are you talking about the uh, clock ran down from 36 seconds to 13 after the 18-yard completion to Edelman. Yeah, well. Go to the next question. Uh, how did you feel the scenario played out, holding that time out a little bit? You know, after Edelman made the uh, catch with 28 seconds left, you guys had three plays after that. Yeah, I feel good about it. Uh, next question, Zach Cox, followed by Matt Vitor. <laughs> you know, there are all sorts of ways that you can get out of a tough question. If you truly have the discipline and if you truly have the force of personality to do it, the best option is just sit there. Just sit there and say nothing, and eventually the world will move on. And, you know, it's funny. I, I give guys like Tom Curran a hard time, the, the folks in the Patriots press corps, and I could hear it in Mike Reese's voice. That, that hesitation, that trepidation, it's like walking down the hallway for an audience with the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. It, and, and I'd be the same way, because I've said to Kern before, why does no one have the guts to ask him this question? He's like, hey, you're, yeah, feel free. Feel free to come to the press car. I was like, no, thank you. No, no, I'm not doing it either. <laughs> but but, but th- there is that quality. And uh, look, no one's pressing him on what needs to be pressed on. The idea of allowing the clock to tick and tick and tick and tick, first and 10 on the 13 with one timeout left. And if they would have taken the timeout as soon as that play ended, there would have been 29 seconds on the clock. As it stood, they ran a play. They forced it. Ball went through the hands of Julian Edelman in the end zone. There was nine seconds left. There was 20 seconds. With that much time in that spot, they would have had more than two shots after that That first down play. And it worked. They got to the one. They had their chance. The fact that they had a chance on a one play all or nothing opportunity to win softens the mistake that was made. But clearly it was a mistake to not call timeout once they got the ball to the 13 with the moving clock. And also you watch Cam Newton. He's not moving with any real urgency. They could have gotten that play off even sooner. Call that timeout and and save as much of those precious few seconds as you can, Shereen. Yeah, and it's so hard to criticize Bill Belichick because we know what he he's done. As you said, he's the greatest coach. It's like at the Super Bowl ever. Right? They boo him. They right. boo him, and he puts up yes. the hands with the rings. That's it. Scoreboard. Yeah, that's right. That's it. 
That's it. So it's really hard to criticize him. But when it doesn't work, when you don't get in, and and if Cam Newton gets in, we're not talking about this today. We're like, hey, what a what a great job Bill Belichick did by not calling time out there. He let the clock run down. Seattle never saw the ball again. That was fantastic. But it didn't work. So we are questioning his decision. And, and I think it's worthy of a question. And I'm sure, despite what he said, that he second-guessed himself. And it is on the head coach to call timeouts. It's not like he's given that duty over to Steve Belichick, his son. He's calling the timeout. So that was on him, and he made that decision. And he's the one who has to feel good about it. And if he truly feels good about it, good for him. And we can move on to next week and see if the Patriots can get it done next week. Okay, we'll move on to the next topic in the Cowboys game. It was 39-24 with roughly five minutes left. The Cowboys score a touchdown. They're down nine points. Instead of going for one and making it a one-score game, now it would be touchdown and two-point conversion, they went for two. They failed keeping it at a two-score game. Here's Coach Mike McCarthy explaining the decision in the aftermath of what ultimately worked out for the Cowboys, but not because of the decision that was made with five minutes left. The decision to go for two there um, is, is is simple simple mathematics where you, you rather know the you know if it's a two score game at, at, at the earliest time instead of taking it all the way down to the end and playing for the two point at the end. So uh, I understand. I can't tell you how many conversations I've, I've been involved uh, in in this particular situation, but to go for two there. Um, just to make it clear, just to make it clear, with a little over four minutes, if we were going to be in a one-score game or two-score two game, was the thinking. I get it. I understand it. I just don't know that I buy it. And to me, psychology is the water's edge of analytics because you have to look at the impact on the other team of making it a one-score game versus allowing it to be a two-score game. This was a point Coach Dungey made last night when we were discussing it in a digital taping that we did that I'm sure the code has been pasted into a story somewhere at PFT. You'll find it. You'll see it. Where Coach Dungey says, look, if you don't convert that two-pointer, you're taking the heat off of the other team. They know it's a two-score game at that point. They have a different approach. They have a different mindset. They're less likely to be tight, right, when they're up two scores with five minutes to go. Whereas if you take the one and you make it a one-score game, your chances of getting the ball back, your chances of scoring that touchdown, your chances of even being, being in position to tie it with a two-point conversion are greater significantly than if you give the ball back to the other team down two scores. That's what gets lost in this new, and I don't want to say obsession, but the coaches really have swung toward embracing analytics, and that's fine. There's a point, though, where analytics has to stop, and the broader circumstances of the game have to be taken into account, Shereen. Yeah, you know, Mike McCarthy said after last week when he went forward on fourth down, could have tied the game late with the Zerline chip shot field goal, that the honeymoon was off. Well, it's really off this week, let me just tell you. They are all over Mike McCarthy, and he better be happy that they won that game. There were two other decisions in that game that really could have come back to bite him, too. He went had two fake punts in that game, and the first one came early. The first quarter, they're only trailing 14 nothing. They're deep in their own end. And they and they attempt a, a fake punt for for whatever reason. And he must have thought that Johnny Hecker came with John Fossil because Chris Jones didn't make the throw. It would have worked, but Chris Jones didn't make that throw. He's not Johnny Hecker. So there were those two decisions. And then, as you said, late that they don't kick the extra point. They try to go for two, which. You know, he spent this whole year on analytics. We heard about, oh, the off year. I spent my whole year on analytics. His analytics right now are not working after two games. I like the aggressiveness, but you have to know when and where to use it in a game. And I just don't think he's figured that out so far. And he better figure it out in a hurry because they have Seattle coming out this week. And, and here's the thing, and it's funny. The first fake punt was in the Barry Switzer spot, right? The, the 29-yard yeah, line, fourth and one. And at least Barry Switzer went for it. He, he left the offense on the field to get the one yard years before analytics right. became a thing. I, I Here's the reality. The, the numbers that are the product of, you know, years and years of plays being run and these win probabilities, it's all based upon what's happened in the past. It's not based upon who's on your team, 
or who's on their team. It is a historical calculation with years and years of down and distances and what teams did, and these are the percentages based on the past. The problem is this isn't like taking a stack of chips to the, to the craps table and working the percentages because you're going to run out of chips quickly. You don't have enough chips to keep going over and over and over again until the numbers work in your favor. You've only got so many you can lose before you're gone. So you can't, and because I envision that some of these coaches are just given over to it completely. Whatever the numbers say, we're going to do. Then we don't have to make the decision. The decision's made ahead of time. It's not my decision. We're just going with the numbers. Don't blame me. We just did what the numbers said we should do because these are the numbers and the numbers never lie. The problem is you don't get enough iterations. You don't get enough bets. You don't get enough opportunities to have it work out your way if too many of the early ones blow up in your face. And now he's going to be skittish about it. He has to be after losing these big bets early in his Cowboys coaching career. So, look, here's the thing. I'm all in, Shireen, with the idea of if you're down 14 and you score a touchdown, if they're, you know, depending upon that, it's got to be at the right time of the game. I'm not saying do it in the first half if you're down 14, but if you're closing in toward the end of the game and you're down 14 and you score, go for two. Because if you don't make it, you're still down one score. If you make it, you can win the game and run away without having to play overtime, especially if you're on the road. It's a genius move. Don't play for overtime. Play for the win. I like it. I also like, and Chris Sims doesn't, if you're up one and you score a touchdown, I love going for two. You make it a two-score game if you convert it. Game over at that point, depending upon when you do it. I just can't get behind this idea of going for two when you're down nine because if you don't make it, You've basically conceded the game. And it's like, hey, we're either going to lose now, we're going to lose later. Let's use our two-point play. And at least we know, right? At least we know that we're going to have to pull a rabbit out of our butt to try to win this game. Oh, and by the way, they did. <laughs> but but it's, it's just amazing to me. Number one, that they ultimately won. And number two, that, that McCarthy has just this kind of hair trigger. Whatever the computer says is what I'm going to do. I, I had finished the story, Mike, even after they scored the touchdown. I'm like, yeah, they made it close. You know, they, they could have had a chance to tie the game, but no, they decided to go for two earlier. And they made it close. People who don't watch this game are going to think, well, it was a really close game. And then they somehow, some way, find a way to recover the onside kick, which is more on the Falcons probably than, than on the Cowboys. So it was a really good um, onside kick by Zerline. But here's the thing, Mike, when these decisions work, the coach is held as a genius, and when they don't, we second-guess it. it. And always point to the, the onside kick to start the second half of the Super Bowl that Sean Payton made, and they recover it, and that was the beginning of the end for the Colts in that Super Bowl. That, won, that to me, won the Saints the Super Bowl. But if the Saints don't recover that, they probably don't win that game. And forever, we're talking about Sean Payton let one get away. What was he thinking, et cetera, et cetera. But we held him as a genius, perhaps because of that one play or that one play among other plays. But that was the biggest decision that he's ever made in his career. And he's held as a genius for it. But if it doesn't work, it's a completely different thing. So these coaches are, are really good when their players execute and do the, do the right things. And it turns out in their favor and, and their goats are second guessed when, when it doesn't. And so here we are second guessing some of these coaches decision yesterday. But here's what I've noticed in recent years. It used to be that, the, once they moved the two-point play, uh, they didn't move it up. They moved the one point back, creating, in theory, better odds and better chances of teams to go for two because it was longer odds slightly to get the one point. I thought more coaches would embrace it. Mike Tomlin originally did. But the thing is, and the mindset was, you do the conventional thing because if the conventional thing fails, no one's going to criticize you. The unconventional thing, if you do it and it fails, that's when you get criticized. That pendulum has swung now. Now, the coaches who do the unconventional thing, as long as it's supported by analytics, they trust that someone out there from the analytics crowd is going to shout down the people who say it was stupid to do it. Because from an analytics perspective, it makes sense. Yes, it makes sense if you're going to play 10,000 games. It makes sense. We're talking about one game, one moment, one season, when you're trying to turn around 
uh, you know, years of frustration and inability of the Cowboys to live up to their potential. And you're trying to win a Super Bowl during Jerry Jones' lifetime. We don't have 10,000 spins of the, of the wheel here to have it work out our way enough times to justify doing it. That's where the analytics have to take a back seat. And the problem is there's such an aggressive analytics mafia out there who get offended and want to tell us how dumb we are by bringing human factors into the equation. Right. You got to know when to set the numbers down and bring human factors into the equation. And one of the human factors is some owners don't have the luxury. Some coaches don't have the luxury of playing this out 10,000 times and having the bulk of the decisions ultimately over time justify making that decision every time it lands on your radar screen. All right. Anthony Lynn had a questionable decision for the L.A. Chargers overtime on their own 34 first possession. Right. Was it first possession of the of overtime first possession? It was first possession yep. of overtime. It was right. So so they surrender it. They surrender it. And well, either way, even if it's not first possession, you surrender it and the Chiefs can win it with a field goal. They kicked the ball. They punted from their own 34, fourth and one. Anthony Lynn said he was just trying to extend the game. The problem is you don't give the ball to Patrick Mahomes. And again, whatever the chart says, and I don't know, maybe the chart there says go for it. I think against the Chiefs, the chart should say go for it there. Anything you can do in overtime to keep the ball out of the hands of Patrick Mahomes, you do. And uh, that's a no-brainer. We saw it in the AFC Championship game a couple of years ago. The best way to beat Patrick Mahomes in overtime is don't let him get on the field, Shireen. Absolutely. And I had that game yesterday, and I was thinking, what are you doing? You just gave the game away. I don't care that the punt took them back to the 25 or wherever they were after that. Um, But, you know, and I didn't like his answer after the game. He said, certainly we could have given them the ball right there, and the game would have been over quicker. So basically you're saying when you punted, the game was over anyway. So go for it. And it was not that long of a fourth down play. You can make that play. You got to trust Justin Herbert. He would have been a hero held after that game if he could have made that play and they had gone down even to kick a field goal. If the Chiefs had come back and scored a touchdown, you're still talking about Justin Herbert and how great he played. And we still are. He played a great game. But I wanted to see him get one more chance to, to at least go down and get a field goal, if not score a touchdown. He had just been so good on the day. And I think they had a chance to, to make that. And they didn't give him a chance to make it. And you knew once the Chiefs got the ball back. Now, they did have to convert a fourth down themselves but and kick a 58-yard field goal. But we're not talking about they weren't playing Cincinnati and they weren't playing Randy Bullock. And they got lucky the week before. And if you think that Harrison Butker was going to miss a 31-yard field goal, I know it wasn't 31, but that's the one that Randy Bullock missed, it wasn't going to happen. They were going to make a field goal however long it was. He'd made a 58-yarder earlier in the game. He was going to make that field goal. You had to go for it. That's why the best approach to analytics is that every decision is informed by the analytics but ultimately not driven by blind adherence to the analytics because those numbers were generated not based upon who's on your team and who's on their team. And one week, it may make sense based on who's on their team. And another week, when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the other team, it makes more sense to hold on to the football no matter what your chart, no matter what your 23-year-old MIT whiz is telling you in your ear like John Harbaugh has, no matter what anyone says, that's the job of the coach to take all of those factors and ultimately make a decision based upon those unique circumstances and that unique time and place. That's my position on analytics. And I think it makes sense, and I think that's what the best coaches do, including Bill Belichick, except when he lets the time run off the clock when he should have taken it. I don't know that. I don't know that. Any, I don't know that there was somebody in his ear from MIT saying, don't take the time out. I just think that was a good old-fashioned blunder of judgment by Bill Belichick. I never thought I'd see Seattle like this. Motions, different formations, different personnel sets. I'm seeing different schematical passing plays down the field. And that was the one complaint you had last year. Like, yes. I wish they did more to help Russell Wilson. Exactly right. So, so now, now you're seeing them help him more. I am seeing them help him more, and now he's got talent around him. You know, I think that sometimes we all forget that, like, Patrick Mahomes does have Kelsey and Tyree Kill and yeah. Sammy Watkins and, right. you know, Andy Reid. And here – you know, Russell Wilson, this is the first time he's had a group like this. And, again, I, I know I've talked about this a little. Like, Doug Baldwin and Kirsch, they were great. But they're not this type of specimen that Lockett 
and DK Metcalf is. I mean, ninth receiver in the draft a couple years ago. Right. Number one on Chris Sims' list. (laughs) And he might be, I mean, DK Metcalf is on pace right now to just go, "Eh, I might be the best receiver in football before this year's over. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where I want to start. And then I think the second thing that just jumped out to me right off the bat, Paul, is I've never seen Belichick be as boring and basic early on in a football game as he was in this. He's lining up and playing zone? Zones. Like like he was like, I don't know, I don't trust getting in the face of these guys early on. I just don't trust it because, you know, the one thing they will do is they'll take their shots. And I think he was probably like early on in the game, let me just let's let our team get a feel for them. I think it was the ultimate respect respect play for Russell Wilson basically where he's like, I'm not gonna give him a chance early because he's gonna burn me if we do. That uh, was Chris Sims and Paul Burmeister from Unbuttoned earlier today talking about the huge game Sunday night between the Patriots and the Seahawks. Some questions from the mailbag, Shireen. This one comes from at Ariza Balliger. I always have to make sure that it isn't something inappropriate that is hiding in that handle. I don't think I don't think it is. How can the Eagles be saved? It's depressing watching this team. Mm, wow. Shireen? Uh, I think, uh, well, I think the best thing they have going for them is they play in the NFC East. I mean, one and one leads it, and the Giants lost Saquon. They're right in the hunt for the NFC East title despite their record so far. But serious concerns about that offense. Their defense has been good enough. They rank ninth in total defense, but that offense is 27th. And Carson Wentz, his passer rating, it's 33rd in the NFL. Yes, there are only 32 starting quarterbacks. That includes both quarterbacks starting for the Chargers have been better than Carson Wentz has been this year. He has not been good. Two touchdowns, four interceptions so far. He has to be better. And I realize, look, when you look at that team, I don't like the talent that he has working with him. I've said that. I thought they should have gone out and added some other pieces. He's got two really good tight ends, and what else? I don't see a whole lot there that scares me on offense, but he's still got to go out and make plays and be special if this team is going to win. Yeah, I agree with you completely. They they are fortunate that they're in the NFC East where being 0-2 out of the gates isn't necessarily a disaster because – there's another 0-2 team, and there's two 1-1 teams, and they're still in it, and they like to dig a hole and climb out of it. They've done that each of the last two years. We see them find some resilience and some will and some determination later in the year. But, you know, the injuries continue to be an issue. Carson Wentz less effective this year than last year. And uh, uh, yesterday was was an eye-opener. I thought the Rams would go there and win, but I didn't think it would be as convincing as it was, and they can only be grateful that there weren't fans there to actually – make their feelings known about the way the Eagles have been performing of late. But there's plenty of time for them to turn it around. Uh, apparently, there was some booing that was uh, piped through the the broadcast, but I doubt that there was actual <laughs> booing that was heard in the stadium. It's that constant 70. No fake batteries either. Background noise. No fake batteries, no fake snowballs, although we'll see. We'll see. Maybe they'll have maybe they'll have like some sort of a of a snowball machine in December uh, to simulate what the fans would be doing if they were actually there, especially if the season continues the way it has for the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, the Atlanta Falcons are the focus of the next question. At a Powell 83, when's Dan Quinn getting fired? Now, Arthur Blank, the owner of the team, has been very supportive. I thought last year during the bye week it would be literally goodbye to Dan Quinn. They had one win. They finished 6-2 and two down the stretch. He got a chance to come back. But now, I'll tell you what, and Shireen, I haven't seen the actual quotes, but we have the text chain where the various writers at PFT say, I'm going to take this story, I'm going to take that story. Apparently, Josh Alber will be posting a story that Arthur Blank doesn't think his players understood the onside kick rule, which is not a ringing endorsement of Dan Quinn, who said yesterday that they do understand the onside kick rule. And if you remember the play yesterday, that spinning ball, the players just watched it. They they were waiting for it, I think, to not make it 10 yards instead of jumping on the damn thing. So if Blank is contradicting Quinn, that's not a good sign. And when you look at the schedule this year, they have a later bye than last year. And they have some opportunities to win. They play the Panthers twice before the bye. But there's a bye that is out there for week 10. And that would be 
the sweet spot. And they've got multiple former coaches on staff who could take over. Raheem Morris is the defensive coordinator, although the defense stinks. Dirk Cutter is the offensive coordinator. He didn't do well as the head coach in Tampa. Then again, neither did Raheem Morris. But at least the offense is the, the bright spot on that team. So that week 10 is when we need to watch uh, Shireen for, uh, for Dan Quinn to be out if it happens this year. Well, I was surprised that Dan Quinn got a six-year in, in Atlanta. I mean, he hasn't been to the playoffs in, in a couple years, and, and they've really struggled. And they, we know they've lost leads. It's been since the Super Bowl. We all remember uh, the lead they had that they lost, and they've really struggled since then. So I was surprised they brought him back in the first place. And now you wonder how long he will last after the last couple of games uh, that they've had. He's now 43 and 39 at, at Atlanta. To me, the most damning thing that's happened with Dan Quinn in Atlanta, he, he's supposed to be this defensive guru, and yet his defense in Atlanta is never ranked in the top 10. That, to me, is the worst thing that has happened in Atlanta so far. And what Arthur Blank has seen along the way is Kyle Shanahan, who maybe should have been hired to be the head coach instead of a defensive guy. See, that's the problem. You hire a defensive coach, end up with a good offense, you lose your offensive coordinator, you got to go find another offensive coordinator, and that offensive coordinator may not be very good. Now, at least the Falcons' offense is good. They need to get the defense better. Quick preview of the first game played by the Raiders in Las Vegas. The Saints come to town to play in the Roomba. The death Roomba. Uh, who do you like? I, I assume you like the Saints. Tell me, tell me you like the Saints. Oh, you got yeah, you gotta like the Saints. I just wish we had the the black hole there. I wish we could see that. But yeah, the Saints are gonna win this one. But I'm looking forward to this game. I'm excited by it. Yeah, and hey, we we don't know at this point how good any team is, how bad any team is. Maybe the Raiders can surprise them. The Saints don't have Michael Thomas. They're going to have to be creative with some of these other guys. I want to see more Taysom Hill than I saw last week. We saw a let loss less of Hill in week one than we did in the playoff game. They need to use him more. They need to get creative with the slot, and uh, they'll be fine. I think the Saints win that game, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about that game. If there's anything left to talk about at 5 p.m. Eastern, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you in the morning for PFT Live. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.